0: What is going on, everybody? Rob here again. It's a beautiful day. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. That's only because I actually got to go outside today. Uh, My back is slowly healing. I'm able to get out with Finn and uh, get some miles on some shoes, kind of start loosening up a little bit, and hopefully I will uh, be back in the gym in the next month or two and kind of back to myself because something I've really really been missing is doing what I enjoy after this whole car accident but that is enough about me because today I have Vincent Aiello. Aiello, Aiello? um that is why his call sign was Jello I'm guessing um went out and saw an amazing movie called Top Gun I've never seen it um I've had to Um, I told him that I was going to go see it so I went saw it amazing movie you have to check out his website it is fighterpilotpodcast.com if you're interested in any of the Top Gun stuff this guy lived it, so he is the real-life Tom Cruise So please stick around enjoy this episode show him some love online and go check out his podcast after you finish this one, so I will let my mouth stop talking because I don't even know what I'm saying, and I'm going to get to the episode. So, here is Vincent, aka Jello. Yeah, I love that little countdown. Oh, it's like actually lets you know compared to where it's Zoom It's just like, all right, no, you're done, you're on, you go. So, <laughs> all right, anyway, um, so I am here with a Vincent, um, who's led a pretty interesting life. I don't want to give too much of it away. You have flown fighter pilots or fighter planes, uh, pretty much most of your adult life. Um, and just that alone intrigued me enough to want to have to have a conversation. Um, and then I find out you have a podcast and a lot of other things going on. So I had to know more. So, uh, why don't you just kind of take a few minutes and, uh, Tell us a little introduction about yourself, get this thing going. Sure,
1: Rob. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on your show. Uh, Vincent Aiello, as you said, I was a young boy who was taken to an air show and thought that would be a good way to have a very amazing life, and it was. So I went to UCLA and was commissioned into the Navy, spent 25 years flying pretty much every model of the F 18 Hornet and Super Hornet, which uh, as we're recording this, right, we're just a little month over Top Gun Mavericks, everybody knows what the... Super Hornet is now, I think. And Mm -hmm. I also had a chance to fly the F-16, which is normally an Air Force airplane, but the Navy has a few of those. So I flew that as a pretend bad guy for training. And I retired in 2017, went to the airlines and thought, boy, this isn't nearly exciting enough. So started a podcast and am reliving my glory days and sharing this fascinating world of air combat with people who want to know more. And it's called the Fighter Pilot Podcast, and it's been pretty successful.
0: Nice. Yeah, our, the names are pretty similar, but I think it's cool that the longer I've been doing this podcasting thing um, and meeting people from different walks of life is I'm finding these little pockets of interest, you know, for uh, that I wasn't really aware of, you know, like kind of seems like as humans, we just narrow in our viewpoint onto what we're interested in and we kind of like have uh, everything else on the wayside. So like you mentioned uh, Top Gun. I'm probably the only person on the planet that's never seen either version of it, Um, but it interests me, you know, so it was like with that coming out and then kind of running into you, it was, this is, you are my introduction to Top Gun, so um, how realistic are those movies right? like, um, kind of before we get into how you got into this, as far as the, the, the flying and everything?
1: Yeah, we spent a whole two months on the Fighter Pilot Podcast talking about that very question, Rob. It's it's entertainment, right? So it's based okay. loosely on fact. We do have FAA teams and fighter pilots and Top Gun, the school and graduates uh, that are out there doing these kinds of things, but they have to make it exciting. And so they take certain liberties, but that's all, raw, all real flying in the second movie. They uh, put the actors in the back seats and took them flying and pulled Gs and went high and low and fast and uh, all these cool things and i think it was just a way to showcase what these amazing women and men do day in and day out around the world uh, not just in our own military but in other militaries too and so uh the the movie was just a testament to those folks and i thought it did a good job of it
0: nice yeah no it's good to hear that's a good accurate representation of you know what it's trying to portray um mm. so you said that you you went to an air show as a child and that kind of sparked your interest did you carry that with you throughout like your entire childhood going into UCLA and like that's what you wanted to do for sure like you've known your whole life about that
1: (laughs) well I mean as much as an eight-year-old knows anything I mean right whatever my kids are doing is what's most exciting to them in that moment and then the next day it's on to something else but it planted a seed for me I won't say that I ran around with a you know little mini flight suit on and and couldn't wait Uh, I, I certainly got distracted by other things sports and school and girls and cars and all that and but I had two older brothers and we would build and fly and often crash remote control airplanes and we'd build plastic models and hang them from our ceilings. We had posters on our walls. And so we'd go to other air shows. And I just remember my stepdad, I think when I was about a sophomore in high school, he said, hey, you know, you're going to be out of high school soon. What are you going to do with your life? And I don't know how many sophomores you know, Rob, but most of the ones I know said exactly what I said. I don't know. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) he said, well, you seem to have this interest. Why don't you go for it? And as much as real life mirrors movies at all, that was the beginning of my little montage where I thought, yeah, why don't I go for it? And so, started buckling down in school, started exercising a little bit more, started looking into what it would take to do it. And it wasn't all success from there on. I was denied uh, acceptance to the Naval Academy. I was not in, initially dis, um, accepted to UCLA or the ROTC scholarship. I had to go to a different school and work hard and transfer over. And so, everywhere along the way, it took tenacity and hard work, But I was focused, you know. If you know where you're going, you know how to get there. And in this case, you don't necessarily get to say that's where you're going. You get to do your all to get there, and then the navy and fate and everything else has a say. But uh, thankfully, I was able to make it.
0: Yeah, no, it's I, uh, I. I guess just from being like the the general population, kind of like uneducated sector of things, I would always think that you would go to. Uh, college after the military um, and have the military kind of pay for it is there a reason why you didn't do that or am I just way off base on that
1: no you're just I think um, combining two different points of view in a sense so a high school student who graduates and maybe doesn't have the money to go to college or for whatever other reason wants to enlist in the military well that's where they will go to straight to boot camp and they will get the enlisted type ratings and jobs. So these might be the folks that work on the airplanes or your infantry soldiers in the Army or the Marine Corps okay. or different folks that do. And I've, I've, I've been asked this on podcasts before and I've never yet come up with a good job, uh, sorry, name for the job, because I don't like calling it menial Uh, although I think you could make the difference between, it's a bit more like blue collar than the officers who are white collar. And I I just don't like that because they're all important. The enlisted folks, they are very important, a part of the military. So I don't know what else to call it other than it's some of the more entry level jobs where you're not going to college first. So you have the enlisted community, then you have some hybrid community, Rob, where they're called like warrant officers and uh, commissioned uh, CWOs, warrant officers and such. Um, and then you have the officers, and the officers are always college-educated first. And so there's different ways you can do it. Yeah, you could enlist in the Navy or the, you know, any of the branches, but in my case, I could have enlisted and gotten the money I needed to then get out and go to college, but I would have been a little older by then, and I might have gotten distracted and just thought, oh, you know what, this is good enough, I'll just do this enlisted thing. Uh, for me, I knew I wanted to be a fighter pilot, and so the quickest route to that was figure out a way to go through college, and then when you enter into the military, instead of entering as an enlisted man or woman, you enter as an officer. And the officers have, again, as I struggled earlier, these more, in a sense, white collar jobs or higher, Mm -hmm. more lofty positions. So fighter pilot, uh, surface warfare officer, nuclear officer on ships and submarines, uh, leaders and, and, and so forth. Not to say there aren't enlisted leaders, there certainly are. So it's just almost like a hemispherical system where you have your enlisted and you have your officers and you have a little bit of gray area in the middle. And for me, since the job I wanted was an officer position, I said, well, I'm just gonna figure out a way to pay for college and go straight in. And it worked because I was 21 by the time I got there. Had I gone and spent, say, four years in the enlisted corps instead, I might have not been 21, 22 until I started with college Mm -hmm. and uh, down that path, so. yeah. Probably so a long winded kind of, answer, but
0: Yeah, no, I like it. It's kind of, I feel like that's the point of these podcasts is to get the longest winded answer possible. Um <laughs> oh, I just had a question. I was really curious about it too. I well think about it while
1: I, I I I uh if you will pontificate on what you just said, which is Yeah, um there are so many podcasts out there these days and what's great about it is there is a niche for everything, right? And even if you're doing deep dives on someone like me and maybe next week someone else, well, you have a certain style about it that hopefully people will enjoy, Rob. And so I think it's great that we have this technology today to allow people to find someone like you who are asking the kinds of questions in the way that you do so that we, yeah, like you said, we can get these long-winded answers. And for someone who, in your case, never saw a Top Gun, doesn't really know some of the military vernacular and differences and the different Officers and enlisted corps that you can, you know, have a show that talks about it, and other people should hopefully benefit from that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I started this show, um, like from the Mayo Hospital, like from like the hotel when I was I was uh, involved in like this really weird cancer incident thing, and uh, so my body went through shock, so I had to fly out to Minnesota to go to the the Mayo Clinic, and I found myself kind of more alone. Than ever before, you know, like in a hospital full of people, I felt more alone than ever. And it forced me to kind of like drop any manly bravado that I would carry with me and kind of like incorporate more vulnerability to myself and try to seek out conversations, you know, to see what other people are doing. Because my like my worldview is so narrow Um, You know, like kind of like you is like I had a goal. I wanted to do this one goal. And then life kind of like kicked me in the dick and, you know, told me that I got to restart everything. And so it just kind of snowballed into this thing to where now I get to have a conversation with a fighter pilot. Later on today, I'm having a uh, conversation with a sports agent, you know, and uh, this started with talking with fighters. So it's. It's always really cool to be able to find these little pockets of people and niches and everything and also be able to gain experience like you had said something um so basically from childhood you knew you wanted to to be a fighter pilot but you didn't get into ucla your first try uh you didn't get into fighter pilot school um how do you handle those losses you know because i mean that's like the i would equivalent that to like uh like a cage fighter you know yeah. everybody that you know knows you have this fight coming up they're expecting you to win you know like they all have your back and support you and then you lose the fight or something did you take it yeah. that way or did you just take it as another hurdle
1: i think more the latter Okay, I, I believe that setbacks really define a person especially a man who if we still hold on to some of the old paradigms, right, we're supposed to, nothing's supposed to bother us, we're supposed to be in control, we're supposed to have the answer and, and be able to defend ourselves and our whoever we're with kind of thing. And, and when a setback like that happens, which it can, right, on any given day, I remember an old coach used to tell me, on any given day, any team can beat any other team. And so mm-hmm. when I watch professional sports, I sometimes wonder that, but you do see the upsets. And for me, Rob, I mean, it's a good question, because to this day, setbacks just piss me off and <laughs> it, it's just a question of what do you do with it right so yeah. i was i'm an airline pilot now and the other day i was trying to get home from my commute it was a, or a, for my f- trip it was a five-day trip and i paid way too much for a you know social media ride i won't say the company i guess but it was way too much over the train station i get to the train station i'm thinking okay good all i gotta do is get on this thing it's gonna go right by the coast I live in San Diego, so it was gonna go from John Wayne in Orange County down the coast, and I was gonna sit on the ocean side and just enjoy it as the sun was setting and relax. Well, 20 minutes go by and the lady announces, oh, there's police activity up track and trains delayed, we don't know when it'll be here. And I just found myself so angry. I thought, black gummit, you know, I just wanna go home. I just, I've I've been out on the road, I just, uh, you know? And so I ended up having to pay for another outrageous social media share ride all the way home, <laughs> and um, and I just stewed the whole way, and I thought, why does this still bother me? I'm almost 52 years old, and I still get upset about setbacks. And I think it's partly dependent on, is it something I can control or not, right? What can I do about it? Mm-hmm. And when you're determined, right, you can grumble, but I think you still do what you gotta do. And in this case, my mission was to get home. And I was angry, but, I said, all right, I can still get home. It's just going to cost a little more. And it's actually I probably ended up getting home sooner than I would have. Um, But I just, I don't handle setbacks real well, but I also am determined when they happen. And when I'm trying to do something and you tell me I can't do it, I might piss and moan, but I'm also going to put my head down and by golly, I'm going to find a way because Mm. I'm going to show you number one, but I'm going to prove it to myself number two, because in the end, again, we're all not supposed to let people know that we have these doubts and concerns and you know maybe arguably unmanly self-doubts but I do and every time something like that sets me back I think all right can I use this to prove to the world and prove to myself that I'm good enough and and that's what I did all the way through and just to uh just to make a comment on what you said earlier, it's not that I didn't get accepted into fighter school the first time, it's that I didn't get accepted to the Naval Academy, which is simply the Navy's version of college. Oh, okay. uh, people come out of that and they go to all kinds of different places. But when I did get done with ROTC at UCLA, I was accepted the first time into a pilot school. Um, but yeah, I didn't get accepted into the Academy, which would be the way most people think is the best way to get right. to that. But yeah, I just, I just almost take it as, a challenge to all right fine I'm gonna I'm gonna show you some other way
0: yeah yeah that's crazy I don't know it's just it's a it's a weird thing to be thinking about because I've been to an air show before as well um, and but it didn't hit me like it hit you you know like it didn't spark this thing that I wanted to go fly fighter pilots you know like go fly hundreds of miles in the air with weapons attached. You know, it's not... I didn't pick that up, so it's always pretty cool to me to be able to see what people pull, what inspiration people pull, you know, from the experiences on their day-to-day life and kind of how that can, like, segue you into a whole different avenue of life that you didn't plan on doing. And so now you're kind of a uh, a commercial airline pilot. Um, Is that... You said that's not exciting. Does, do you make it exciting, or kind of that transition going from fighter pilot to commercial pilot? What was that like?
1: Do you do you fly as a passenger, Rob?
0: I do. Yes. Do you
1: do you want me to make it exciting? Yes. You do sometimes. <laughs> okay, You're, you're or, in I the mean, minority. It depends, <laughs> in,
0: depends on how you can make it exciting. Yeah, <laughs> I do not want you to move the plane to make it exciting. Right no. now, most yeah, people no, I,
1: just want to be like, I just want to get from point A to point B. Don't even make a PA because yeah. you're interrupting my movie. Uh, and so it's, it's not exciting, but I think it's fairly noble. At least it used to be. Um, and, and, you know, we make a difference. I love talking to the kids on the airplane. I love inviting them up to the flight deck and uh, connecting with the people. I'm somewhat of an introvert, but there's times when I really do enjoy m- meeting folks. And, And the company I work for, they really love it when we do stuff like that because, right, when the pilot connects with somebody, and that's why they make us dress in those ridiculous ice cream uniforms with the hats and the epaulets and everything. And and so they want us to look the part, they want us to talk to people and tell them they're in good hands. And so I try to do that and no, it's not exciting and that's okay because I'm at a point in my life, I've got a middle son who just graduated high school and he's been out partying for a week straight and um you know and i think about when i was his age i'm like yeah that's the right thing to do man go go celebrate and have fun while you've got the energy and the youthfulness and no obligations yet this summer and um you know at this point in my life i'm not like that anymore so i go do it and i hope i do a good job and in my mind doing a good job is i don't have to do any unnecessary paperwork or explaining at the end and maybe i meet and connect with a few people in that moment even if it's just one people if we make eye contact and and I can brighten their day just a little bit, then that's, quote unquote, exciting for me now. So that's, that's what I try to do. And the, the one thing I say about civilian flying is, you never know when the test is coming. And uh, right, um, oh gosh, I'm having a moment. Uh, what was Sully, right? Sully, the, the day he uh, lost both engines, taken off out of LaGuardia, that was the day his test came, and he passed passed in flying colors when he landed the aircraft and saved everybody everybody in the Hudson. And so, I try to take my job very seriously. I mean, when I was a fighter pilot, it was more consequential. Um, And certainly it is in commercial aviation too, but we've got the processes down. It's so safe these days that day in, day out, like the airline I fly for has 3,000 flights a day just in the United States. And the fact that you almost never hear about anything tells you they've got the process pretty well solved yeah and so what I do is I try to study I try to prepare I try to say what if and when the day comes if I get a test like Sully did then I hope I'm prepared but you just never know when the test is going to be and you can't put it off like we did in, in school right and study the night before the test you've got to you got prepared all the time and I try yeah. to do that
0: yeah I like that yeah and you said something that uh is actually a good segue to kind of get into where I was hoping to uh, to go next with, uh the outfit that you're wearing seems like it hasn't changed since you were eight years old, and you saw the that <laughs> show. They yeah, they don't change at all. It's a very traditional, I guess, uh, profession of you know. It's almost like going back to the milkman days. Of literally, it doesn't seem like anything's really changed as far as like from my perspective. You know, I wasn't around for the milkman days, but you know, like just that that outfit. <laughs> and so you know that was the segue of you being eight um and kind of going through um just through life in in general and then you get to the fighter pilot school um what is that like getting in your plane for the first time you know and realizing you did it you know like you you've yeah. accomplished it and now now the work really begins you know kind of yeah. walk us through that a little bit
1: Well, I mean, you're working up until the day you first take your first flight, right? So all through college you're preparing because you wanna be competitive for a pilot slot. And then once you go to the preparatory training of the theory of engines and aerodynamics and meteorology and everything else, water survival, especially in the Navy. So you're doing all that. So it's a process, right? You don't just step into it like I presume those actors did in Top Gun Maverick where it was very condensed very just, this is what you need to know to do the job of being an actor in the back seat. So you're already in the frame of mind, Rob, where you're working hard, you know everything is graded and competitive, and the better you do, the more likely you are to get what you want. And so I worked really hard in everything I did, and it always it wasn't always that I was the number one, in fact, I'm not sure I was ever the number one in anything, but I worked real hard and I was always in the upper portion. And so when I got to my first squadron, where we started with the simulators. I worked hard for each simulator. And then I remember my very first familiarization flight, call it FAM1. And we went out, we briefed, we got in, and all of a sudden this was in the panhandle of Florida. And all of a sudden a big thunderstorm kind of moved in, and because the schedule's sort of lockstep all through the day, right? If, if you delay, it's gonna delay everything. So they just canceled us during the storm and kept the airplane for the next guys later and tried not to disrupt the flight schedule as much as they could. Um, but the next day when I went to fly and uh, I got in there and I, I was just exhilarating, you know, it was just great. And then I got air sick, <laughs> which was no fun. Uh, but the next day went out again and got a little queasy but didn't get air, actually, you know, didn't puke. And then the next day got a little queasy, but less. And then by the end, you know, it was less and less queasy. But that was actually something I dealt with, believe it or not, all through my career, Rob. Um, even just recently, I got in the back seat of a little airplane and went flying and uh, ended up getting airsick because I don't do a whole lot of that quick maneuvering type of stuff anymore like I used to. And uh, so, yeah, it's exhilarating. And then I'll tell you, just to end this part, um, my very first solo, I remember taking off and I just started yelling, like, yeah, you know, and kind of shouted out my brother's names who were always my biggest fans. Like, you guys should see this, you know. And um, it was just great. It it just, you got to take those day-by-day victories to offset the little micro setbacks as they come and you know again it wasn't perfect i had my share of flunked flights if you will in in flight school and uh you just you just try to keep your head up and say i'm gonna keep doing this until i either make it or i'm i'm washed out and uh, that's Mm -hmm. what i did and it worked
0: yeah i don't don't know that's crazy it's i just keep picturing uh you taking off you know like screaming your brother's names that image is you know that kind of seems like that's what you put all the hard work in for, you know, It's like for those little moments right there, have you been able to find those little moments in any other portion of your career?
1: Yeah. I mean, gosh, that the first solo in retrospect was such a small thing. I mean, I spent most of the rest of my career flying a solo (laughs) flying by myself in an F-18 or F-16. Right. I mean, like
0: having that initial, you know, like big pop.
1: Thrill. It yeah. just depends what you're doing. Sometimes if you're dropping practice bombs at a test range somewhere and you hit exactly on the target, that's pretty exhilarating. Uh, flying low level and fast is fun. Doing a dogfight mission with somebody and and gaining the advantage and winning, in a sense, uh, was exhilarating. So I, I always looked for those moments in anything. And, of course, I tell you, I don't, I don't know how much you know about carrier aviation, Rob, but, boy, Nothing. anytime you come to a halt on an aircraft carrier, especially at night, Uh, the fact that you're done is pretty exhilarating because that those night carrier landings are pretty (laughs) treacherous
0: yeah i was reading uh off your website and you were talking about the the night landings i never thought about how hard that is what are you seeing like i i need to look up a video of it just out of pure curiosity just to kind of see your vantage point but is there just like bulbs going down the carrier and that's your only runway or is it completely lit up from like floodlights, or what are you? What exactly are you? Because you're there's no light. You're just out in the middle <laughs> of the ocean, and you're. <laughs> I can't imagine you can see what you're landing on before like thirty seconds away from it. So, how are you? Yeah, I guess just walk me through that part. Yeah,
1: it's it's scary. It's terrifying because <laughs> um, there, there's. I mean, if there's a moon up, which almost for whatever reason, never seems to happen. And when there is a good moon, then, you know, there'll be some cloud deck that you descend below because, right, that's where the clouds are is in the sky and you get below it and now the moon is blocked and it's dark, but when the moon's not up or there's an overcast or whatever, it's exactly like you said, it's just dark. And the reason you probably haven't seen too many videos, Rob, is because they could just show pure black and maybe play the sounds and that's about it. But I mean, in real life, you can see out in the distance, if the visibility's good, some, some some little lights. And these little lights are all you see. You don't have cultural lighting, which is, right, if you fly over downtown Los Angeles at night, that's such a huge city that it becomes part of your peripheral vision. Well, when you're out over the ocean, and if it's a moonless night, then you've got stars down to the horizon, and, which is pretty amazing, by the way. Um, and But then there's the dark ocean, and so when you look out, down at that carrier, you could be looking at it right side up or upside down, you can't really tell. And so you've got to rely on your instruments in our heads up display. And as you get closer and closer, you can start to make out what is the actual lights on the deck and there are some very low voltage or I don't know how they would measure it, but floodlights mostly for the safety of the deck crew but otherwise, you've got the runway edge lightings, you've got a reference light that you use to land, and you've got your buddies out on the platform, the landing signal officers, who will talk to you if you need it, or at least yell at you when you <laughs> when you really need it kind of thing. Um, and the idea is, if you do all the procedures correctly and you can keep your wits about you and remember which side is the upside, if you will, then uh, they're there to tell you if you need a little power or come left or go right or whatever. And uh, ideally, you do it yourself and you end up in the wires. And... I'll tell you Rob it's 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 scary it really is but what's almost more scary is the way we taxi our aircraft is with our feet we have rudder pedals and nose wheel steering which we steer with our feet and brakes and sometimes on a really dark and hairy night your the adrenaline in your body is like okay I'm done I need to you know exit your body now in a sense and I, I don't know that much about the uh, kinesiology, if that's even the right term or, or you know, physiology, <laughs> yeah. but, but but the muscles I'm told in your quads and your upper legs are, are your biggest muscles. And so I guess the body says, all right, well, I'm just going to send these out through these muscles by kind of twitching them. So then you end up with sh- sh- wobbly legs and it makes it really hard to taxi the aircraft because there's very precise steering. They want to put all those aircraft so close to each other. And so I had a couple of nights where I just had to almost stop and just set the parking brake and say, hold on, I just need a second here. And of course they don't like that because there's another guy landing a minute behind you. And so they'll holler at you if they need to or whatever, but um, it's it's pretty scary. And um, I've had some nights where it's easy and I've had some nights where I had a couple tries at it because you miss all the wires and you go around and try again. And I've been waved off a time or two, which is where those LSOs say eh, power up, wave off, just just beat it, you know. You're looking a little too scary and we don't want you crashing in the back of the ship, which you can get on YouTube and find several videos of that happening. So I think that's part of the reason it's so scary for us is we know that it's consequential. It's life or death and not just your own, mm-hmm. other people on the flight deck.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, uh... I try to stay away from those videos. So so when I was younger I would I I would watch like those squirrel suit videos or like skateboard videos, you know, just like people doing extreme things and hurting themselves. And now I just look at it and it's it it's changed for me a little bit as I've gotten older to where I don't want to see somebody fail and die. You know, like yeah. it's just it's not something that I really want to go into. Um, but I appreciate that they're out it. there yeah yeah there's also that once it's in Um, there
1: do you do you remember in the vancouver olympics several years ago some they they screwed up the track of some luge thing and some poor guy went flying off and just ran into cement pole i can't unsee that i think of that from time to time and it just bothers me
0: yeah yeah exactly and it just seems like even if it's not my trauma but Mm -hmm. witnessing your trauma seems to carry a weight that i then have to like carry so i just choose not to to do that too much um but with that trauma it's a good segue to get into uh you've been busy you're you're a very busy man uh you know behind you, you got a entire bookshelf um really you got some cool stuff on that shelf actually um, but are you uh what's your family life like you know like getting into Away from the profession and getting into your personal life, do you have did you have time to kind of cultivate the the relationships and stuff that you wanted and kind of create that balance?
1: You know, I made it a priority, Rob, early on. Um, although my wife probably wouldn't tell you that because we met before I just before I started flight school in Pensacola, and we hit it off, and she ended up moving in actually, and and we dated. Uh, let's see, we met in '93. I think I proposed in 97 and we married in 98. And she'll kid me about it, especially in front of other girls or uh, friends or something. But but I tell her, I said, look, I was married to the flight school. I, I had a singular focus. And yeah, I liked you, but uh, this was important to me and this was what I wanted to do. And and so I was glad she held on because once I was done and made it in a sense, I realized, boy, I better get busy because I don't want her to run off. So you know, I proposed and we married not long into my first fleet tour. So I've always made her and our children a priority. We have three sons and I try to always be there when I can, but they know that I'm gone a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. My youngest was, I think, two years old when I left on my first deployment after having him. And uh, there's this heartfelt story that my wife, she had written me an email when I flew off to deploy in 2003. And... uh, And I I kept the email because it was so poignant. And I ended up putting it, I didn't tell her I was going to, but I put it in the retirement program uh, when I left the Navy in 2016. And you know, I don't know if you ever go to anything where there's like a program, uh, but you sit and look at it while you're waiting for the thing to start. And I was up on the stage and I was looking out and I saw a lot of people kind of just surreptitiously like, you know, oh, I got something in my eye, you know, or something. But mm-hmm. she, uh, I don't know if I can even get through it, you know, without getting a little choked up. But she, she talked about <clears throat> the night I, that she in, in uh, Slater's, his name, watched me fly off. And that night, I, he, you know, I wasn't there to do the normal nightly routine with him. And she put him to bed and tried to explain. And it was really cute. And she said that a couple of minutes later, he came out crying, just, you know, like, where's daddy? And it was an eight month deployment, Rob. I mean, you know, we had to figure out how to make that work for eight months. And uh, so when I got home, you know, of course tried to make it up to him and he understood as he got older and and the other boys did too. And so I just, I've always tried to make them a priority and and try to let them know that even if I'm not here, physically, I'm still here, you know, emotionally and mentally. And Mm -hmm. when I deployed to Afghanistan in 2011, um, my youngest was four, and so Slater, my oldest, was 11. And so he was a pro by then. But you know, my m- wife made little daddy pillows that they could hug at night and stuff. And so uh, it's it's hard, but you just make it a priority and, and you just deal with the absences. And of course, these days, you know, oh, where's dad, mom? Oh, he's on a five-day trip, he'll be home Thursday. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, yeah. so it's no surprise, but. I, I try to connect with them when I can, but you know, they're older now. So I think they, mm-hmm. dad's not as important right now. Hopefully I'll come back again uh, <laughs> later, but um, for right now, you know, I'm, I'm gone and, and they don't seem to notice at least in my opinion. Yeah, but, yeah. but yeah, I still make it important. Uh, okay. And, and, yeah, and try to try to not give anything up. If you can, uh, if I can for, yeah. for the sake of family.
0: Yeah. Cause right now um, my fiance and I have been engaged for, over a year, Um, and we don't have any kids, but thinking about having kids and kind of, uh, yeah, I don't know. The Having kids is a very, very scary thing, Um, and then the time commitment towards it is a hard thing, Um, but the thing that I struggle with the most is kind of, you touched on it a little bit, but um, is being there. You know, so I grew up without a father. And so when I have a child, I want to be there 24 seven, you know, like do all the things that I didn't get to be a part of. But there's also the other side as being the man you're supposed to go out and the longer you're gone, the more you're providing. And so that's, that seems to be one of the biggest balances. Um, Have you been able to find that balance later? Like not so much in your military career but now going into your commercial career with it is it a little more structured and you can kind of i don't know i guess yeah, yeah. Kind of yeah. Deal that's with a that. good
1: question i mean so this month july for example i yeah. had the fourth of july off which was great and i have three five-day trips later in the month with a little bit of time in between each one and so we just we have a family schedule and and again i don't think the kids even bother to look at it because dad's either home or he's not Uh, But when I'm home, you know, especially my youngest, I've got one left in high school and I I get up with him in the morning and uh, I see him off. I still you know, push him on his bike. I tell him it's a catapult shot like my aircraft carrier days and give him a little push down the sidewalk and a kiss before that kind of thing. And and so I just try to avail myself. But I think if you do have kids and I hope you do, by the way, Rob, because it it changes you as a man. And as a human being, it softens you, I think, a little bit. And it, 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 it makes you kind of consider your priorities, at least it does for most people. And also, I think, I hope, right, my kids will someday, if, uh, if I'm on a deathbed, will be the ones that'll be there, not any of these books and different memorabilia behind me mm-hmm. that were from my career or from my podcast. And so, uh, you know, Thanksgiving is more exciting with family, Christmas, all the holidays, birthdays, uh, Fourth of July, all that. So I, I think you should and it's just it's just part of this journey of life and it's different than anything you've done before but it's different in a good way, I think you'll find. And so for me, I just try to communicate with the family, hey, here's what I'm doing or here's where I'm going and they know I'm gone a lot but when I'm home I try to make it count. Now a podcast, as you can appreciate, keeps me very busy but I do it from home and so I tend to get up before the rest of the house and, and work on things and when I start hearing someone stirring and finding their way down for a bowl of cereal, I try to pause what I'm doing and go visit with them and, and just be there because that's, I mean, in the end, that's what that's what there is, is relationships.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's, uh. I guess I kind of want to talk about podcasts for a few minutes and then I can get yeah. you out of here. Um, how did you start it? So obviously the interest is there, but mm. the thing about this whole podcast space is if you try to Google how to do it, you're just going to get a million people that – want to charge you to do it for you um and it's all overseas and you know it's crazy so like having to figure out the artwork microphones the technology and then finding people to have conversations with and then there's the editing and publishing and it's a lot more work than i anticipated going into it Oh yeah, um, as i'm sure you're very well aware um so yeah how did it start and how is it going
1: yeah well, so I was uh, commuting to work uh, here in San Diego back in 2010 and I got tired of radio and public radio and, and so I found and started listening to podcasts and I just looked for things that interested me for the reasons we discussed before. There's niches for everything. And so I would listen to something about uh, real estate. Uh, my wife's a realtor and we've got a couple rentals. And I'd listen about the economy. I was in an MBA at the time. Uh, or I'd listen about muscle cars because I like old classic American muscle. I've got a 67 Mustang Fastback out in my garage that my mm. grandfather bought new in 1967. Um, Do not and so, get rid of that thing. No, I, <laughs> it's been in the family <laughs> ever since. Yeah. My middle son is named after my grandfather, so he thinks it'll be his someday. At any rate, um, so I just on a whim one day emailed the guy who did the muscle car show and I said, hey, you know, I love your show and by the way, this is me. and and, and sparked something in him because he had wanted to be a military pilot. So he wrote me back, he was like, no way, you know, you do that and that's really cool. And and so at some point he heard that I'd had a couple old cars and have an old car and he said, well, why don't you come on the show? And I think for him it was just a way to scratch an itch about talking to a military pilot. So yeah. I did, I came on and we talked a lot about flying and a little bit about cars. And afterwards we struck up a friendship and it just kind of, again, like that air show when I was eight years old, it kind of, Kind of planted a spark for me, and, and, and we got to talking. And I say it was him; he say it was me. He says it was me, but one of us said, "Wow, of all the different podcasts, nobody's doing one on military aviation." And he said to me, "Vincent, you should do it." And I said, oh, "You know, I'm still in the Navy, trying to figure this out, and I, you know, I don't know." But it planted the seed. I started noodling the idea. I, I did Google, like you said, how to start a podcast, and I found mm-hmm. Pat Flynn. He has the uh, what is it? The uh, Smart Passive Income podcast. And so hats off to him. He had a series that was, that was free on YouTube and he talked about how to do it and all the things that you identified earlier. Hey, so you need to create the MP3 and then you need to upload it to a service and then you need to create a feed and you need to, you need to link that feed right to, at the time it was iTunes. Now it's Apple podcasts and Google podcasts and blah, blah, blah. And so he, uh, that that got me started and then the guy who had the muscle car, Rob Kibbe, uh, he said, hey, yeah, yeah, I think you should do this and I'll help you as much as I can. So he was my mentor. And I'll tell you, Rob, I just, I just kept, like I did in flight school, figuring out what do I need to do next, right? So when it's water survival training, okay, fine. What do I need to know to get through water survival? And then it's your meteorology and, and aerodynamics. Okay, good, what do I need to know? It was the same thing. I'm not a big social media guy. So I had to learn a lot about what is this Twitter thing and Instagram and all that and had to start profiles on all those and then figure out what's the best way to, to promote and all that. And so I just kind of did it little by little, day by day. I, I, I produced it myself at first and when I go back and listen to my earliest episodes, it's still a little cringeworthy. Um, oh, but be- Before too long, I found a producer. So I just recorded the elements and gave it to him and he gave me back the finished product and I started making some money here and there and started learning more and more, and it's a journey. It really is a journey. But mm-hmm. man, it's also a grind, as you know. You finish yeah. an episode and you're already thinking about the next one and the one after that. And, uh, and so today, fast forward, it started January 1st, 2018, and we're in our fifth year now. We do three episodes a month. Um, I figured it might work because I knew that people were excited about the concept of military aviation. I thought I'd mm-hmm. figured out because I can figure out most things eventually. What I didn't figure out, Rob, or guess, um, was that there would be people out there that would want to help. So right away, I had people like, "Oh, I noticed you're using all the usual royalty-free music. Hey, I'm a musician. I live in Spain. Let me make some music for you." Oh, cool. Yeah, thanks. Um, I've got a guy in Spain that does the music. I've got a guy down in Australia who does the graphic artistry and the website. I've got business development friend in uh, Austin, Texas. I've got other people that offered to help co-host the show. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it's just, it's, it's been an amazing journey and we make some money today. We've got a lot of listeners uh, on any given month. I think we have over 250,000 downloads across our whole catalog of people that find us and listen to the current one and then listen to the back catalog. And it's just, it's been a real blessing for me because yeah, the money's great, but that's a result, not a goal. Uh, The goal was to share this world with people, the kind of people that might go to an air show a year and not think about the rest of the year, but oh, I have a commute. Oh, let me listen to this podcast. Um, But also, Rob, I'll tell you, the big one was the young people that want to do this. And now today, unlike when I was their age, they have all this technology and all this information. And so they listen as a way to get a leg up on the process and, and hear it straight because I'm not, I hope, real gimmicky. I'm not a guru. I'm not gonna tell them here's your five-step sure process to become a fighter pilot. I just bring other people on the show and they talk about whatever airplane or process or missile or tactic and uh, and and the young people listen to that and try to get a head start on it. And so I, they, they reach out from time to time as well and tell me yeah. they appreciate it. So it's going well in so much as we have listeners that are enthusiastic. We're inspiring the next generation of military aviators, not just fighter pilots, even though we call it the Fighter Pilot Podcast. And... We do earn opportunities to go do things and we make a little money so all in all it's been wonderful
0: yeah no that's awesome it's also for me it seems like i guess it's kind of like wrapping everything up going back to that theme of being an eight-year-old kid that it it does kind of seem like to some extent it's like you get to be a child again you know like when you're in a classroom and you just got like scissors and paper and glue and you're just trying to like make all these projects and it forces you to make friends um, but in this instance, as an adult, it can be hard to meet new people, especially as a man, you know, like I'll, you can walk down the hallway of any grocery store and come across 50 other guys and you're not going to say a single word to them, you know, but if you find out that they have a podcast, or you know, they're a musician or whatever, and then it it kind of becomes this collective building process, um, that creates a, a cool small knit community, yeah. um. So, yeah, have you had any people kind of stop you from, like, on your day job, you know, of being a pilot that has recognized you from uh, the podcast?
1: Yeah, actually twice, uh, which maybe means I haven't made it enough or more people need to (laughs) listen to fighter pilot stuff. But uh, I did have one on a longer flight. One of the flight attendants came up to uh, be in the flight deck with us while one of us took a potty break, basically. And uh, he said, Hey, are you, you know, Vincent Aiello? Because my I have a different first name, it's Eller, which is kind of different. So i i just go with Vincent. Um, okay. but on the legal paperwork for the flight schedule, they they'll put my real first name. And he goes, Some guy thought he recognized your voice back there from the PA, but he called you Vincent Aiello and it says here, Eller Aiello. And I said, Yeah, that's me And he goes, Oh, cool. He want you know, I said, Well tell him to stick around after we land and I'll come out and shake his hand. So yeah, we took a selfie and I always keep some business cards or stickers or something with me, yeah. so I gave him a little something. In uh, my airline, you know, they they always tell everybody, "Hey, don't really say who we are," um, but on the other hand, right? They, they like the positive. They just want to make sure they can control their own brand yeah. image. Um, but at any rate, so uh, and then I had another one once where we flew from I think Jacksonville to Atlanta, and I landed and I had a couple hours uh, in the pilot lounge waiting for my next flight and. I got an email and a guy says, hey, did you just fly us from Jacksonville to Atlanta? <laughs> I said, yeah, why did you stop me, you know? And so, yeah, I have, I have heard uh, of a couple of people um, that uh, have asked me, but you know, I don't, like for example, I don't say it on the PA, hey everyone, you should listen to the Fighter Pilot Podcast. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's great promotion. <laughs> it would be, but uh, right, if I owned the airline, I wouldn't want everyone yeah. talking about their, whatever podcast they're running. So yeah. no, I, I, I try to keep, my hemispheres, if you will, separated. But if someone figures it out, yeah, I'll definitely talk to them and engage with them. And, and I enjoy doing that.
0: Yeah. No, I don't know. It's a, this has been a cool conversation, man. I've never talked to a yeah. fighter pilot before. I feel like I have a million other questions, but that's literally just going to force me to go listen to your podcast. Um, <laughs> so that way I don't have to ask you multiple questions you've already gotten. Um, so, yeah, no, I will uh go ahead and get you out of here. Um All right how can everybody find you so that way they can connect with you and kind of follow along. And especially with, uh, this was done purely by coincidence of us connecting and the, uh, Top Gun movie coming out. So Hmm. there was, I was not doing that on purpose, but with that coming out, everybody's getting into it. It seems like everybody's buying leather jackets trying to look like pilots now too. Um, (laughs) So so how can people get a hold of you, you know, aside from the podcast, um, but also, um, yeah. yeah, just kind of plug away?
1: Yeah, leather jackets and uh, the mirrored Ray-Bans, right? And I, I heard oh God, mustaches yeah. are making a comeback because one of the main oh, characters has a mustache. They are anyway.
0: huge out here. Yeah, every yeah. Uh, every guy has one.
1: Yeah. You know, I don't, uh, I don't really do a lot of personal social media, so I would say the best way for people to connect would be with the Fighter Pilot Podcast, and I'm still – a big part of the social media, I respond to almost all the comments. Sometimes uh, I've got folks that help that will beat me to it if it's the typical questions that we get. But um, so yeah, I mean on Facebook, just look for the Fighter Pilot Podcast. Same for on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we have fighterpilotpodcast.com and we have a Patreon page where people can support the show and get extra information and bonus content. So that's just on Patreon and then search for the show. Uh, we have an email, questions at com, And then if you listen to any of the episodes, we have a phone number where you can leave like a voice question or something. And we play those on the show and I think listeners enjoy hearing themselves. Oh, awesome. And it's uh, 877-MACH-101 and it's M-A-C-H. So I think it's what, six two two four one zero one. I don't actually think about the numbers too often, but I think that's right. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, Rob, I tell you, you know, you and I started this at about 9.30 in the morning. Uh, And prior to that, I was looking at social media, responding to people, I was answering emails. And because I think part of the success of my show has been the ICU factor, which is, I can't tell you how many times, in fact, this morning I I received one. Somebody had emailed me the other day, I wrote him back. He goes, wow, I didn't expect such a quick response and from you, I feel like I'm talking to a celebrity. And I, I try to show that to my wife once in a while. And she says, yeah, whatever, you know, to her, I'm just her smelly (laughs) husband. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like I I don't ever want to get as popular as as Tom Cruise. I just, I I think the life that he must live where he can't go anywhere, right. Without being mobbed. Um, Mm -hmm. and and thankfully, right. I'm in, I'm in no uh, risk of getting anywhere close to that. Um, but I, I do enjoy connecting with people. As I said earlier, I do enjoy just, you know, that's, that's, I think a part of life and, paradoxically, the reason the show succeed is because of that, but the more we succeed, the less able I am to do it. And so I try to just pick uh, one or two people a day that I can respond to, and some of the rest of them I hand off to uh, staff that helps me out. And when they hear from me, I, I think they're they're really excited. And so, you know, just publicly, when you first reached out to me, I think it was like right on the 4th of July, um, I had yeah. to sort of guard myself a little, I apologize for that, but it's like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, who are you? How big are you? And what is it about? Because my team gets mad when I keep saying yes to everything. But, you know, in the end, I believe in the raising, the rising tide raises all the boats. And, uh, if this helps you a little bit, or if I get you and some of your listeners over to the fighter pilot podcast, well, then that's a win all around. So it was time well spent as far as I'm concerned, Rob, thanks for the invitation.
0: Yeah. And, and same likewise, I, uh, I always love trying to cross promote a little bit and, like we were talking about this whole time, find these little pockets of people just to see what other people are interested in. So it's a, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Um, Thank you for your service. That is the thing that I was supposed to say in the beginning. I forgot. Um, So thank you for that. And uh, yeah, I uh, will talk to you soon. Thanks for coming Uh, on, man.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. Rob had, let's keep in touch. If you want to do a part two sometime after you've seen some of our shows, you might have some more questions.
0: Yeah, definitely. I will, uh, should I go see Top Gun or is that just going to ruin it?
1: Uh, It's good entertainment. So if you're going to go, I would say start at home on your couch with the first Top Gun. And then uh, from 1986, you got to just suspend uh, a little bit of the current societal views and values, but uh, start with that one. And then, uh, yeah, and then go see Top Gun Maverick on the biggest screen you can find. I think you'll enjoy the, uh, the ride.
0: All right. I will do that, so. All right, man. It's been a pleasure, and uh, thanks for coming on. You're welcome. That's going to do it, guys. That is another episode down. We got Jello in the books, and man, that guy was awesome. He definitely knows what he's talking about. If you go to his website, fighterpilotpodcast.com, you can see all of the episodes and kind of pick exactly what you want to learn from him and kind of you know start building your knowledge on fighter pilots because it's something that i never knew that i was interested in until i met him now i saw the movie great movie now i gotta see the first one so i'm not the only person that hasn't seen the first one so that's gonna do it i want to give a big shout out to vincent for coming on thank you for that um, please hit him up all over online uh, Check out the podcast and show him some loves Tell him I sent you from Instagram And that's going to do it No sponsors today, just me I've uh, been taking a break on some things And I'm really just trying to heal my body uh, Get my mind back in the right spot um, You know, going through a lot of pain And having my past difficult situation to navigate but I have amazing people around me who really are showing their love and support so it has been an amazing recovery process so for those of you that have helped me thank you I appreciate it and for those of you that say I can't do it just you're a fan sit back and watch so that's gonna do it guys I appreciate your time thank you for listening and I love you see you